0: Let's pray. Our dear God, our creator and sustainer, our savior and our advocate, in the precious name of Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. It feels so good. To laugh. There are Few things in this world feel better than laughter. When I was 8, 9, 10, I used to love digging out my grandparents' copies of Reader's Digest and opening up to a section called Laughter is the Best Medicine. And it was especially appropriate because when I was 8, 9, 10 years old on rainy days at my grandparents' house, all the grown-ups sat in the living room talking for hours on end, which I never understood, and found insufferably boring. And so I found things that were not boring, like reading the encyclopedia uh, and Reader's Digest, especially the stories. It feels good to laugh. Art Linkletter had a show in the 1950s and 60s where sometimes, as a part of it, he would interview kids. The show was called Art Linkletter's House Party. And he would interview these kids, and you never knew what they were going to say, the statements they were going to make, the questions they were going to ask. One of my favorites of the kids' questions was uh, one kid asked, how old was I when I was three? And then one kid, when um, wanting to share the name of God, said that God's name was Harold. And he, what? And he started quoting the Lord's prayer, "Our Father, which aren't in heaven, Harold be thy name." <laughs> I got tickled this week walking up and down the hall because one of our three-year-old teachers and I swear she was saying it with as straight a face as possible. so you kind of had to be there to see just how serious. She was leaning down, telling this three-year-old little girl, you're not a turtle, you're a little girl. And then walking up on a statement like that and really wanting to know what in the world the context was of that statement. Have you ever thought about the possibility that since we as Christians are counted among Abraham's children? You know that doctrine, right? that you know, we, we've been grafted in, we're a part of the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, if we are part of the, the descendants of Abraham, if we're counted as Abraham's children, the promise that God made to Abraham, that we, like even the name of Isaac, are children of laughter, We are sons of laughter. We are daughters of laughter. We're children of laughter. If you've ever read Genesis 25, you know that Abraham, after Sarah died, married again. He had a lot more kids and then finally died, as the story goes, when he was 175 years old. I love the way that the text talks about both Abraham and Sarah when they died. It's so poetic. It doesn't say, Abraham died, Sarah died. It says, Abraham was gathered to his people. Was gathered to his people. But the two people most prominently mentioned at Abraham's funeral, at Abraham's death. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the text. It's kind of one of those things that is so out of character of the way we usually read these kinds of passages that it easily can slip by us. But the two people most prominently featured at Abraham's death, standing there side by side, united with one another, are Isaac and Ishmael. It's not the way we usually picture these brothers. We usually picture them divided. And it may be because of their own family history, their own family tradition. You read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you see a lot of stories about brothers who are divided. Lots of division, lots of fighting, lots of turmoil. And I'll just say this at kind of the front end of the sermon, The fact that God is continually referred to throughout Scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is pretty comforting to me. Because if you've ever read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you've read the stories of a family that was pretty imperfect. There's some sin, there's some turmoil, there's lots of imperfection. And yet, these are the ancestors of our faith. Then, after Abraham dies, after Abraham is gathered to his people, uh, the kid named Laughter, he who laughs, marries a woman who is also barren. You notice that when you read these stories, kind of the way that these, these family cycles, these These little things just keep repeating themselves. But then Rebecca conceives after prayer, giving birth to twins who... Well, just listen. Hear the way this is recorded. Abraham, Isaac, now you've got these twins. So here's Genesis 25 starting in verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled together within her and she said, "If it's going to be this way, why do I live?" So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, "Two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you, shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh, And so... The wrestling match begins in some ways that, and hear me out on this one, God gets caught in the middle of. Sound familiar? We live in a world today that sometimes feels like one great big wrestling match. Amen? (laughs) You ever feel that way? When are these people going to quit wrestling? When are we going to learn from our ancestors of faith, from the generations who've gone before us, to finally start getting along? When are we going to quit Jacobing and Esauing all the time? And I don't care what you're talking about. You know, politics, talk about faith, talk about what we're going to have for dinner. Quit Jacobing and Esauing. Because we are children of something so much greater. A gift from God. Maybe even children of laughter. Because, after all, this is God's story. And this is not God's story that we're telling as God's story from the past. We're telling God's story and we're actually living it out today. We are living within God's story at this very moment. And I believe that God is perfectly capable of writing the story and leading us on the journey. If only we might have the faith to trust that when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. But oh, sometimes along that way, the plot sure does thicken. The story keeps going after Jacob and Esau are born and start wrestling. Verse 29 continues the story. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm hungry. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. This doesn't seem like an even exchange, by the way. So Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And then here we are today. Abraham's children of laughter. And I think we have forgotten that somehow, the way that these original stories keep informing our lives and the way we live. We've bought in to the world's false promises of quantity over quality, thinking that what we need is more. You ever give in to that? You ever give in to that world's false promise? Well, you need more. I don't know if what we really need is more. I think what we need is better. And I think God can deliver on that promise. I mean, in a world of abundance, in a culture of affluence, how much do we really need in order to focus on where we need to place our focus, and that is our walk with God? How much more do we need? I mean, here we are. We are children of laughter. And maybe this is why Jesus reminds us to become like little children. You remember that one, right? That statement of Jesus's: that we need to become like little children. When my kids, when Cole and Reese were little, Cole must have been probably, I don't know, six-ish. How old are kids when they lose their first tooth? (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) So somewhere between five, six, seven, somewhere around there. I think it was around six, which must have put Reese right around four. Cole was in the process of losing his first tooth. I mean, it was so loose that if he walked up and just thumped it, he would have, have lost it. And so I kept trying to tell him, you know, you explain this to a kid. Look, it's really easy. This thing is so loose. All you have to do is just grab a hold of it and it's gone. And so he would hold on to it and he would try to pull it, but you could see that he wasn't really doing it. He didn't have quite the nerve because he was inexperienced at teeth pulling. And so he didn't know what to do, so he just uh, and he couldn't quite do it. And so he tells me, Daddy... Why don't we do, and I guess he had seen this on some cartoon, you know, or on TV. He says, why don't we tie a string around it and tie it to the door? And I said, well, maybe that works on TV. And, you know, we, we, we were always like, well, let's humor the kids. And so, all right, well, we'll do it. So I get some dental floss, and I tie it around Cole's tooth, tie it in a knot, and then, you know, take the big long string... Tie it to the doorknob, and there it is. And I'm thinking, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> so he's standing there, and we're all, you know, just standing there. Jen and I, is gonna do it? Reese is standing there watching, you know, what's gonna happen. She'd never seen anything like this before. And so he has his hand on the doorknob. And I said, All right, babe, all you gotta do is shut it. And so he goes like this. He goes, <laughs> He just can't do it. And he looks at me. He goes, Daddy, I don't know if I can. And Reese goes, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) She grabs the door and she just slams it. There goes the tooth flying across the room. (laughs) And he kind of starts crying a little bit, but then we all start laughing because it just was this outlandish moment. This was also way before you know iPhones and you, I so wish I could have caught that on video but I don't and so what we have is the story did you read in genesis you know not in the stories we just read but you know going into today did you read in genesis that Isaac repeats the pattern of lying about his wife and calling her, his sister. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, didn't we just read this story? Is is this Isaac and his wife, or is this kind of the story that we've already read? How often do we go through that in our everyday lives, thinking, haven't we already done this? Haven't we already hashed this out? Why do we have to hash this out again? Sometimes because we don't learn. And then Abraham and Sarah's grandson, Jacob, the son of laughter, you know, this just generations of laughter in the midst of all kinds of intrigue. Again, it's easy to talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but then when you actually go read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it kind of leaves you with the feeling, these are our ancestors of our faith. And then sometimes while we're reading them, it's pretty easy to be judgmental of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, wives, families, kids, all that sort of stuff, until we kind of start looking at our own lives and realize, oh, this is God's story. This is not all bad. Especially when you consider that God's good creation also just keeps on giving even when God's promises encounter some bumps in the road. This is where it gets kind of, of personal, but you know, it probably wouldn't take that long to start going around the room and asking, you ever encountered any bumps in the road in your life? you, know, you ever encountered any bumps in the road in your own faith, and yet God's story keeps going? God's story keeps being told, God's story keeps being lived, even by people like us. I take some comfort in that, that God's promises keep on keeping on, even when I get in the way. Jacob and Esau, they kind of got in the way of God's story, and sometimes we do too. If you've never read what comes after the stories that we read, and then all the Isaac and Rebekah, and then the next stories in Genesis 27, the story of Jacob and his mother deceiving Isaac. Actually, I thought, I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Well, okay, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. If you haven't read this, you need to read this for yourself, because if I told you the story, you'd be like, I don't, that's not in the Bible. Yeah, it is. You've got Jacob, Mom... Isaac, who's about to die, can't see anymore, and they take him food and fake hairy hands. I mean, seriously, go read this. It's there. And let's just say that it created more turmoil between the twins, who had been fighting since before they were born, and then at the end of 27, 41, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, but then I'm going to kill Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger against you turns away and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Now, here's what astounds me. This is Scripture. I mean, this is, this is the kind of story that we're supposed to read and say... This is the word of the Lord. This is the holy word of God. You know, and then, like some traditions, we're supposed to say, thanks be to God. For this, this is Scripture. These are the ancestors of our faith. The story of faith passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob is the story of God mixed with us. And again, this is the beauty of the book of Genesis. It's not just telling the story of God, because that's what the Greeks tried to do with a lot of mythology. That's what a lot of cultures have tried to do through the years in describing what they couldn't understand. And so they would tell these stories just about the gods, and they were distant. And sometimes they would come and, and mix up, but it just didn't you know, it didn't, didn't make sense. This is the story of God mixing with our own story, and it gets messy, and it gets dirty. It's also the ultimate generation-to-generation reminder that the story of God often encounters conflicts and disappointment that are stranger than fiction. But it's also the ultimate generation-to-generation reminder That just as God takes risk on people like us, we take risks by saying yes to God when we cannot see where God is leading us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stayed with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob even when their stories got messy, even downright sinful. That's the beauty of these stories. God stayed with them. God did not abandon them. You read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they give God plenty of reasons, just from a logical standpoint, for God to say, I've had it with you people. But God doesn't say that. And God doesn't do that. God keeps Staying with them. Thanks be to God that all of these are counted as those who lived by faith. Thus will our stories be told. You're you're Abraham. You're Isaac. You are Jacob. Your story will be told right alongside those people when it's all said and done as people who lived by faith. You think your story is messy? Read the book of Genesis. You will feel right at home. I'm reminded of the end of one of Tennyson's poems. We are not now that strength which in old days Moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, but not to yield. We will keep striving to do good as God's people of goodness. We will keep seeking good as God's people of goodness. and We will keep finding the good and we will not yield. For it is Jesus who invites us to ask and seek. And it is Jesus who answers and helps us to find. I believe in God. Sometimes because of these early stories of faith and sometimes in spite of them. That faith in God continued even after all the Isaacs and Rebekahs and Jacobs. Well, hallelujah. Let us praise the Lord. Is it any wonder, then, that at the end of the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, that includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, that that Faith Hall of Fame both culminates and concludes and then begins a new chapter with the author and perfecter, of our faith our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that faith hall of fame ends like this and this probably sounds familiar since it was our dwelling passage a little while back therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.